Hey there, I'm Lauren Hicks, pastor of Pacific Christian Center in Santa Maria, California. Thank you for joining us for today's podcast. It's my prayer that this message strengthens your faith and draws you closer to God. Now enjoy today's message. Wow, praise God. You want to say thank you to Joel and our worship team for leading us today. Say thank you. It's a beautiful time, beautiful time together in worship. I've been so encouraged already this morning. I'm so glad that you are here today. Uh, my name is Lauren. I'm the lead pastor of our church. And if I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, I'd love to have that opportunity here before you. If you go, just to say hi, to uh, introduce ourselves, to shake your hand. Thank you for coming You'll hear it over and over, but we always say there's a place for you, a Pacific Christian. There's a place for you to worship, a place to belong, a place to grow in your faith. There's a place for you to use your God-given talents, gifts, and abilities and make a difference uh, in the work of the Lord. We want you to know there's a place for you here today. Let me mention a couple things before we get to Scripture today. First of all, um, how many of you are here this weekend for our marriage conference? Anybody here this weekend? Hands going up. We had almost 50 couples, I believe, this weekend, Friday night and most of the day on Saturday. God moved and spoke to our hearts in a powerful way. And uh, I've been telling you for a couple of weeks, we're going to be the kind of church that fights for the family. We're going to fight for the marriages. We're going to fight for the family. We're going to do everything we can to make families be strong. And I just want to publicly say thank you to Pastor Moses, Gary, and Cynthia for leading our marriage conference. They did an amazing job, amazing job, and leading our family life ministry here at the church. Great job. Also, this morning at 8.30, we had a wonderful breakfast for all the senior, senior adults in our church uh, over in Palmer Hall. How many of you came to the breakfast this morning? Can I see your hand? Anybody? Everybody doing good? How, nothing wrong with some eggs and sausage and some pancakes and some fruit and some coffee. Come on, somebody. It's all right. <laughs> nothing wrong with all that. Let's say thank you to Gail Sousa and her big team of volunteers for all their work this morning. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And, and I just want to say my heart is so warmed at your generosity and how you give to the work of the Lord. Don't worry, we're not going to receive another offering. But I... I just, want, I, just, I just want you to hear it from the lead pastor of the church, how grateful we are for your investment in the work of the Lord. And uh, there's a lot of places you can give. There's a lot of places that you can uh, put your giving. Uh, but you've decided to give not to Pacific Christian, but through Pacific Christian, because you believe in the ministry, you believe in the outreach, you believe in the impact that we're having locally across this city and around the world. And so I want to say thank you so very much for all that you do for the work of the Lord. Now, if you brought a Bible with you today, or maybe you have a Bible on your smartphone, you can power that up at this time. I'd like you to turn with me in the New Testament to the book of 2 Timothy, chapter 3. 2 Timothy, chapter 3. Go ahead and grab your Bible. Hope you have that. And uh, always want to encourage you to bring a copy of the Word of God when you come to church. Can I remind you that preaching is about the Bible? Amen. That's a good place to say amen. I just want to make sure everybody knows that. Preaching is about the Bible. If you ever uh, hear somebody speak at church and they don't open a Bible, that might be a nice talk and it might be a good talk, but it's not preaching. Preaching is about the Bible. Preaching is from the Word of God, instructing us and encouraging us 
from the pages of the Holy Bible. So always bring a Bible with you to church. By the way, if you don't have a Bible, we'll give you a Bible. On your way out today, stop at the Connection Center, and we'd be happy to give you a Bible. By the way, if you don't have our church app, you can go to, to your app store on your phone and search for Pacific Christian Center. You can download our church app, and there's uh, an online copy of Scripture right on your uh, app, on your church app. There, there are reading plans and so forth there, so I encourage you, if you haven't already, please download that when you get a chance. I want to share a message with you that has been heavy on my heart this week. Uh, in fact, I got up very early this morning. I, I just can't tell you, I know those of you in the room who are preachers of the gospel, Pastor Bloom, Pastor Palmer, and others of you that are preachers of the word of God, know what I'm talking about when I say I'm, I carry a heavy burden for a message to be delivered. I know the Lord has given me this message, and this is a pastoral message. I've been preaching some of those lately, I think, but um, I want to sh- challenge you today with a message simply titled, Continue in the Truth. Continue in the Truth. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, the Apostle Paul wrote these words, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, Boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Verse 5, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. Now let's jump down for the sake of time to verse number 14. But as for you, this is Paul writing to Timothy, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We are living in a time, in a day and age, when we don't have much assurance of anything. As we look around at our society, we look around at our culture, we don't have confidence in very many of the institutions of our day. We don't have much confidence in our government system. We don't have confidence on those on the left side of the aisle, and we don't have confidence on those on the right side of the aisle. And might not have even confidence in the Supreme Court or confidence in the presidency. We don't have a lot of confidence. We don't have a lot of confidence in Wall Street. As you know, this past year, our stock market had a dramatic decline. The S&P 500 was almost 20% down. That's the, the lowest it has been since the recession of 2008. We now know that inflation is at a 40 year high. We don't have a lot of confidence in our financial system. As we look around at our educational system today, we don't have a lot of confidence that it's headed in the right direction. We're not confident in our security. We have ongoing tension with Russia, China, and others. Sin and darkness seem to be growing at a rapid pace. We are living, I believe, in the time described by Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20, where he wrote, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness. I believe we live in that time, don't you? The culture around us is trying to change everything. 
The culture that we live in, the society we live in today wants to change your beliefs and your way of thinking. They want to change our values and our convictions. They want to change this book and they want to say that our interpretation of this book is outdated. Our understanding of this book is outdated, that it no longer works or that it's no longer relevant for this time and for this generation. What do you do when you live in a time and you look around you and it feels dark and it feels hopeless and you don't have much confidence in the things around you? What do you do in times like these? You hold on to the one thing that you do have confidence in. This morning, I want you to know that my confidence is in the Lord. My confidence is in His Word. God has never failed us. His Word has proven throughout our lifetime to be true. God is faithful in every generation. So my confidence is not in this temporary world. My confidence is not in the things that we see around us. My confidence is not in earthly systems or earthly institutions. But my confidence is in a God who never changes, who's the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's where my confidence is. Now Paul says in this chapter, in this passage of Scripture, that the last days will be terrible times. The last days will be terrible times. And the question might arise in our hearts today, are we living in the last days? And you can make your own decision on that, your own interpretation based on your study, but I believe we are living in the last days. I believe we've been living in the last days for 2,000 years. You say, well, Pastor Lauren, that's a long time to be living in the last days. It is for us, but it's not for God. And what is time, what is time to God? 2,000 years is nothing to God. But I believe we are living in the last days. And I, I believe that in the imminent return of Jesus, and I think this is a healthy place and the healthy approach for every believer, is that we live with an earnest expectation that Jesus Christ could come back at any moment. I believe Jesus could come back today. I believe Jesus could come back while we are in this service today. I live with a belief in the imminent return of Jesus Christ. And I hope that you do as well. He tells us here that the last days will be terrible times. Look at your Bible if you still have it open. He says people will be lovers of themselves and lovers of money. Let me ask you as we go through this again, just in your own heart, ask yourself the question, is this the culture we live in today? Ask yourself as we go through these verses, is this what you're seeing as you watch television, as as you watch the media and the news and you're on social media and you interact with people in our culture and our world, ask yourself the question, are we living in these times? He says people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasures rather than lovers of God. And then among the church, he says, that there's going to be those who have a form of godliness but they deny its power. Let me ask you, are we living in these times? Are we living in these times? Now, 2 Timothy is a letter. First and 2 Timothy are letters written by the Apostle Paul to a young preacher by the name of Timothy. Timothy was Paul's son in the faith. He was his protege. Paul was Timothy's mentor. And how exciting it must have been 
for Timothy to go on these missionary journeys. And you can trace them in the book of Acts, the three different missionary journeys. The Apostle Paul and his companions went on taking the message of Jesus, planting the gospel. Paul's calling and burden was to plant the gospel in places where Christ's name, Christ's name had not been proclaimed, taking the gospel where it had never gone before, a true missionary to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. That was Paul's mission. That was his calling. And he was raising up these young people that would go with him who would catch that same vision to take the gospel message. Message. And the place that the Apostle Paul spent the most amount of time was a city in Turkey called Ephesus. And Ephesus was a city of about 250,000 people. It was, a, it was a great metropolitan area, a coastal city. It was a place where trade routes would cross. It was a place strategically, a strategic by the Holy Spirit where the gospel could be a beachhead. That if the gospel could be planted there because of trade routes, the gospel then could go all over the world. Ephesus, however, was a very ungodly pagan city. It was there that the temple Diana was, and Diana was a fertility goddess. And you can see statues online uh, today of, of, this, uh, of, of this statue. And people would come from all over the world wanting to have children. Those who were barren would come, and they would bring offerings and lay their offerings down in front of the temple uh, Diana in hopes that this false god would somehow make them fertile so that they could have a child. And this idol was profitable for the city of, of Ephesus and brought a lot of money in Ephesus. And Paul spent two years here planting a church. But when it was time to go, Paul said, who are we going to leave in charge of this church? Among the young men that I'm raising up as pastors, who can I leave here? And directed by the Holy Spirit, Paul left a young man named Timothy to be the pastor of this church. It was not an easy place to pastor a church. It was a place where there was persecution of the faith. In fact, I have been to ancient Ephesus in Turkey, and there are places where uh, the city is really basically built out of stone, the ancient ruins and stone. In fact, tour guides to this day will tell you that if you go midday, you, you better bring a pair of sunglasses because the sun just gleams and glistens off of the streets of that city. But as our tour guide led us through, you can see places where someone would come out in the middle of the night uh, and, and under the uh, umbrella of darkness and with a chisel and a hammer would, would chisel into a wall or chisel into the stone ground the image of a cross and it would let other believers in that area know there are Christians in this area. It was a difficult place and so now Paul is in prison and he's writing this letter from prison. He is in prison for nothing more than preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. He leaves Timothy, his son in the faith here, to pastor this church in this difficult place. Paul writes him a couple of letters. We have them in the Bible. This is 1st and 2nd Timothy. Knowing that his execution is coming soon, Paul writes to warn Timothy of the difficult days ahead. Paul could see in the spirit that hard times were coming for the church, that the world would continue getting more dark and that wickedness would continue to expand. And he wanted to do everything he could to prepare Timothy so that Timothy would not lose his faith during such difficult days. And he gives us this description of darkness in these first few verses of 2 Timothy chapter 3. And we see that three things are happening here. First, in the culture, there is a total rejection of God. We're seeing this today. It was a time when even those who would disagree with people of faith would at least be respectful enough to let our voices be heard. That day is no more. Today, the media is godless. There are some rare exceptions, but the media around us is godless. And the media today is trying to condition the minds of the next generation that they too would be godless. 
So important for us as a church to invest heavily into children's ministry and youth ministry so that we can do everything we as a, as a church as we can to teach our children and youth a biblical perspective and a biblical worldview. It's a good place to say amen. There's a total rejection of God. Paul says people are unholy and ungrateful, lovers of themselves, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Second, Paul said this leads to moral collapse. People become lovers of money, conceited, without love toward others, boastful, proud, unforgiving, not lovers of what is good. And third, finally, Paul says this leads to the total breakdown of the society. Paul says people will be treacherous. Last night in another state, two women met in a parking lot outside of a grocery store and got into some kind of an argument together. You may have seen this in the news. Maybe an argument over the parking spot or something. We're not sure what their little argument was about. And one woman turned around to get in her car. The other young woman, I believe 20-something years old, 23 years old, pulls out a gun and shoots her in the back, kills her in the parking lot over a disagreement coming out of a grocery store. What treacherous, treacherous, he says. Rash, slanderous, brutal, disobedient to parents, abusive, and without self-control. What does this mean? Here's what it means. No rules. No right and wrong, no moral absolutes, no moral restraint of any kind. Everyone does what is right in their own eyes. That's what Paul is describing for us. Paul says the last days will be terrible times. Today, your beliefs are under attack. Your Christian faith, your biblical beliefs are under attack by the culture in which we live today. Your faith, your values, your beliefs, your definition of reality, your definition of appropriateness, your definition of marriage, and your definition of life from womb to the grave are under attack. Two weeks ago tonight, 12 and a half million people watched a television show, an award show called The Grammys. I hope that you did not watch that garbage. That's what, it, that's what it is. Sam Smith, an artist dressed as Satan at the Grammys, sings a song entitled Unholy. It's a song about sexual liberty and no restraint, just fulfill your own lusts. That's on the evening television for anybody to watch. Today, across our nation, we have public libraries. I, I loved the public library when I was growing up. I'm, I'm, a, read, I'm a lifelong reader. I'd take a, my backpack and fill it up with books and come back a week later having read them all. I'm just, I love reading. But today across America, public libraries are hosting reading time for children by men dressed as drag queens in makeup and fishnet stockings to teach our small children about sexuality and gender identity. As early as you possibly can, parents, you better tell your children who they are. You better tell your children who they are because the world around us is going to tell them they can be whatever they want to be, whoever they want to be. And whatever feelings, you just follow your feelings and that's what, you, that's what you can be. But God has given us an identity. I said God has given us an identity. And we are who He has called us to be. And we want to embrace our God-given identity. I understand that the world outside the doors of this church are godless. 
And, and I know they're godless because they don't accept the truth of Jesus Christ. They don't accept the truth of God's word. And I, it doesn't surprise me. I expect the world to be dark. And I expect it to be dark because it has not experienced the light of Christ. But church, my greater concern is not for the culture. My greater concern is for us. My greater concern is not what's coming out of Hollywood or what's coming out of the White House. My greater concern is the condition of the church. How will the church respond in the last days? How will the church sustain itself in the last days? How will we respond to the culture? And of course, our, our heart for our culture. While I describe it, I don't want you to, I don't want you to mistake what's in my heart towards the culture. We can be accurate in our description of the culture and at the same, same time have the love of God in our heart for this culture. I love this city. I pray every day that God would give me a greater love for this city. I want to see every person in Santa Maria and Orchid come to faith in Jesus Christ. I pray every weekend for the churches of this city. I call them out by name. I call them out. God bless First Baptist down the street. Bless Grace Baptist. Bless First Christian. Bless Foursquare. Bless South Valley. I pray, God, that every one of them is strong Bible-believing churches. Fill their seats, God. Give them souls. That's my prayer. Why? Because it's going to take all of us to reach the city. It's going to take all of us to reach the city while the world is dark. Please do not think that my heart is not filled for love and compassion for those that are living in darkness. I want to see the world come and experience the truth that is in Jesus Christ. We can decry the darkness and still love people in Jesus' name, everybody. But my concern is for the church. What does the church do in times like these? Because you see, some Christians have compromised their beliefs because they want to be accepted and affirmed and embraced by the culture at expense of their relationship with Christ. And let me tell you what's happening. Paul would say over in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, he would say, the Spirit clearly says in the latter times, some will abandon their faith, following deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. They come out of the mouths of men and women, but it is a deceiving demonic spirit that's spewing it out. Paul says in the last days, some in the church, verse 5, would have a form of godliness, denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. He's saying to us in the last days, some people would be religious, that it might even be beneficial for us in some ways to be religious. It puts us in with a certain crowd of people and maybe it's good for networking and maybe it's good for business. I don't know. We, we like, we will be around a certain religious crowd of people, maybe like taking on that identity, but they'll be religious, but they will deny the power of God. They will not submit to God's authority. They will not let, not let God change and transform their lives. They will be spiritual, which is the, so, such the current theme today in our culture to be spiritual, but it won't be a faith that submits to God and his authority. Paul says it's just a form of godliness, just a form. Recently, recently on television and the morning talk shows, a former megachurch pastor who is very, very famous and well-known, and if I were to mention his name, many of you would know his name. He's no longer a pastor, but very well known as a pastor and written numerous books. But he made his circuit on the daytime TV show stating, stating that he now believes the Bible is irrelevant to today's culture. He said the church will continue to be even more irrelevant when it continues to quote letters from 2,000 years ago. 
He's talking about the scripture I read this morning. What's happening? What's happening? In the last days, some will depart from the faith, from the faith, following deceiving spirits, things taught by demons. Deception in the church in the last days. The scripture says in the last days, even the very elect will be deceived. He says, if you think you're strong, you think you're godly, be careful. Be careful if you and I posture ourselves and become overconfident spirits and think we could never fall. People more godly than you and I have fallen. People more faithful to God, more full of the Holy Spirit, more experienced with God have been deceived. Even the very elect can be deceived, the scripture says. So yes, there is deception in the church and the greater church. And I wish I had time to talk about the different types of deception, but can I just give you four just so you'll be watching for them? Can I do that? I'm sorry. I need a drink of water. Can I give you four just so you'll be watching? The first one is, is the one that concerns me the most, and that is the false doctrine of universalism. This is not in your notes, but you can write this down if you want. Universalism. What is universalism? Universalism is a very appealing message. In fact, I wish it was true because it's very appealing. Universalism says that because God is loving, because he's gracious, because he's merciful, in the end, everybody will be saved. That message, church, is sweeping Christianity. And the reason it's sweeping Christianity, as I said, is because it's very easy to believe. The Bible does not teach us universalism. The Bible t does teach us that universally God has given us the opportunity to accept and receive his grace. In fact, in Titus, the scripture says, the grace that brings salvation has appeared to all men or to all people. That all of us have the opportunity, but as we know, not everyone will put their faith in Jesus Christ and call him Lord of Lords. Not everyone will be saved. So be watching for universalism. Second is religious pluralism. And that's sweeping as well. And that can creep in here into our own hearts. Religious pluralism simply says that all religions are basically the same. That it doesn't matter what you believe, just pick something. It doesn't matter. Whatever suits your personality, whatever fits your style, whatever fits your vibe, whatever's good for you, just pick something because in the end, we're all going to end up in the same place anyway. Again, read the book. The Bible does not say that. Third, deception in the church is a denial of the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is prevalent in today's church as well. That God does not move by His Spirit. He does not fill people with His Spirit. He used to do that in another day and age and another time, but He does not do that today. That is a deception. God is still filling men and women and young people with His Holy Spirit. And He will fill you with His Spirit. Fourth, fourth deception in the church today is that holiness and godliness are no longer essential. In other words... As long as you're a Christian, it doesn't matter how you live. You can go out the door, live however you want to live. God's, God loves you. You got your fire insurance. You're good for heaven. You made your reservation. You're good. Go live it up however you want to live your life. It doesn't matter how you live, man. It just doesn't matter. Whatever you want to do. Right? That's deception. To say that godliness and righteousness and holiness no longer matters. God's called us to live a holy life, church. He's called us to live godly. He's called us to live in righteousness. He's called us to follow Jesus. The process of sanctification begins at your conversion and does not end until the day you meet Jesus. He is constantly shaping us and molding us and changing us with the goal that you and I would be like Jesus. So Jesus wants to change how I speak. 
And he wants to change how I think. And he wants to change how I respond. He wants to change my attitude. He wants to change where I go, what I do, the motives of my heart. He wants to change it all so that it becomes like Jesus. Well, I told you I came to preach today. How do we live in such times? How do you live when sin abounds all around us? When it seems like wickedness is prevailing, how do we live? How do I pastor a church in these times? In these times. The temptation might be that we need to do something different. Maybe we might begin to think that our gospel message is outdated. Maybe we become too set in our ways. We might face the temptation to compromise our beliefs and our values and our convictions. We might ask, is there something different we should be doing? Are we doing something wrong? And here's what Paul tells Timothy. This young man that perhaps, as he's pastoring this church in this difficult, dark time, that maybe internally he's wrestling with these things and wondering, man, what should I do in such times? How should I lead? And, you know, what can, what can we do in these times? And Paul comes to Timothy and he says in verse number 14, he says, but for you, Timothy. He said, that's what some of those other people are doing. Some of them are abandoning the faith. Some of them have a form of godliness. Some of them have walked away into darkness. Some of them, he says, but you, Timothy, this is personal, but you, Timothy, he says, continue in the things you have learned and have become convinced of. Just continue. Just stay the course. In times of confusion, we hold fast to the truth that we know. We do what Paul told Timothy. Continue in the things you have learned and have become convinced of. Just stay the course. And this is what we're going to do. I said, this is what we're going to do. If you wonder, as the culture around us continues to crumble and to decline, if you've wondered what the posture of this church will be, we will continue in the truth of the gospel. We will continue. We will continue as God is our helper. We will continue. A couple of weeks ago, I was up in Northern California for uh, just a couple of days, just 48 hours, and Linda and I made a quick trip, and we we're on our way back, and we spent the night, and we stayed at a hotel um, right on the ocean, actually. The hotel, a nice place there, and I'm an early riser, and I got up early uh, that morning because the, rest, the hotel had a restaurant, and the restaurant, the, the windows of the restaurant just looked out over the ocean. It was just such a beautiful, beautiful setting there, and there wasn't another person in the restaurant. They let me in. I said, all I want is coffee. They said, are you sure? No, I said, all I want is coffee. And I just wanted an hour to spend time with the Lord and look at the beauty of God's uh, creation there. And it was just a wonderful, peaceful, relaxing uh, time to do that. But I noticed that, that, that jetting up out of the water, this particular location was a very large rock. And the waves this time of year, especially if you drive up the coast, the waves are pretty high this time of year. The waves are pretty big this kind of year. And as I sat there for an hour, wave after wave after wave crashed against this rock. I mean, repeatedly, relentlessly, wave after wave after wave. And it was, it was crashing against that rock before I got there. It was crashing while I was there. It's crashed after I left. And I assume that unless things have changed, it's crashing right now. But for the entire hour that I watched, the rock never moved. The rock never moved. The winds of adversity in your life and mine are going to blow. 
the waves of wickedness and ungodliness are going to continue to crash. But because we built our lives on the rock Christ Jesus, let the wind blow, let the waves crash. We will stand for Christ. We will not be moved. Friends, today, don't get caught up in the idea that we need a new revelation. In verse 17, the scripture says that God's word is still sufficient. It's still relevant. This book is still understandable. This book is still applicable. Its teaching still works. We don't need new doctrine in 2023. We don't need it. God has been faithful to this church for a long time, hasn't he? He's been faithful. We sang a moment ago all my life. You've been faithful. Now for 86 years, God's been faithful to Pacific Christian Center. 43 years ago, in the year 1980, Pastor Robert Palmer became the pastor of this church. How many of you were here 43 years ago? Let me see your hands, a few of you that were here. God bless you for your faithfulness all these years. Pastor Palmer, were you here? I think you were. <laughs> for about a dozen years, Pastor Palmer over on Stoll, and then when they came, bought this property and built this building and experienced the mercies of God stood right here in this pulpit. And over those years, he preached the gospel faithfully of Jesus Christ. He continued in the truth of the gospel. He did not deviate away from our doctrinal foundation, our doctrinal beliefs. He didn't compromise thinking we could reach more people if we just make it a little more palatable, make it a little more softer. He stood faithful for God. Why? Because he knew that someday he'd stand before God and be accountable for every word he said from this pulpit. So for a dozen years, he was faithful to God. He preached the gospel. He reached the lost, and he did what God had called him to do. And in 1997, God sent a new pastor to this church. Pastor Rick Bloom came, and he stood right here Sunday after Sunday for 22 years. For 22 years. And many of you are here week after week after week. This man of God preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. He did not compromise his faith. He did not compromise the doctrine of God's word. He held true to the things of God. He preached the gospel and won souls for Jesus for 22 years. In 2019, only by God's grace, I became the pastor of this church. And however long, however long the Lord gives me life and he gives me breath, I will continue in the truth of this book, preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. We will not compromise. We will not turn away in a changing generation. We will not. We will not. We will continue. We will continue in the truth. We will continue. We will continue. You can be seated. I got to hurry. I got to hurry. I got more. Sit down. The Apostle Paul cannot leave his prison cell. Oh, how he wished he could leave and go back on his missionary journeys. There's more cities to reach for Jesus. There's more places to plant the church and the gospel. Scholars tell us approximately five years the Apostle Paul was in prison. First two in Caesarea, and then he appeals to Caesar, and he's in Rome, and he's under house arrest now. He can't leave. He can't go out and preach can't go out and plant churches, can't go visit his churches, can't, can't come visit these young pastors and encourage them and put his arm around them and pray for them. He, and instruct, he can't do that anymore. But he's got a pen. 
And he said, they can't shut my mouth. And he got a pen. And he wrote, or he dictated to someone, and they wrote it. And he sent these letters out. And we have them now. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he wrote these words. Paul cannot leave his prison except to face the executioner's sword. Paul, in a few days, this is his last letter he writes, 2 Timothy. In a few days, Apostle Paul would be martyred by losing his head at the executioner's sword just because he's a preacher of the gospel. But while he still has breath, I want you to hear the impassioned plea. Oh, I feel the Holy Spirit. I want you to hear the impassioned plea of this seasoned pastor. Young man, continue. If you do anything, young man, you continue. You hold fast the truth of God's word. You don't compromise. You don't turn away. You don't give in. Timothy, in a hard place, even under the threat of persecution, you continue. Don't give up. Don't give in to compromise. Just continue. Continue to preach the gospel. Continue to stand for truth and righteousness. Continue to pray and seek for the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Continue to believe that God will move in your generation. Just keep going in the things of which you are convinced. Paul would say something similar to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, where he wrote, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself faithfully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So continue. Second, he says, continue because you have become convinced of the things you've learned. Become convinced of these things. I looked this word up here in the original language because I wanted to know what is Paul saying when he talked about the things, Timothy, continuing the things you're convinced of. And the word convinced in the Greek language, this is what it means. Things trustworthy, firmly believed, to be assured, to be fully persuaded. Continue in the things you're convinced of. I hope this morning that you are convinced that the word of God will not change. I hope you are convinced that the gospel of Jesus Christ goes out to anyone who will dare put their faith in Christ. I hope you are convinced that Jesus is seated on the throne and that he's coming back someday according to the timetable of God. I hope you are convinced of these things. Let's be fully assured, fully persuaded of the things that we are convinced of. And I got to thinking about the things I'm convinced of. What am I convinced of? And I thought about Romans chapter 8, verses 37 through 39, where Paul says, knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I'm convinced. I thought about 2 Timothy chapter, chapter 2, verse 12, just one chapter before where Paul says, I know in whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he's able to guard what I have entrusted him to that day. And then I thought about 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, where the Bible says, Greater is he that's in you than he that is in the world. And then I thought about Isaiah. Are we, we doing okay, everybody? I thought about Isaiah chapter 54, verse 17, where the Bible says, No weapon formed against you shall prosper. These are the things that we are convinced of. 
And then I thought about David in Psalm chapter 37, verse 25, where he said, I was young and now I am old. I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread. We are convinced, amen? I said we are convinced. But maybe Timothy needed a little bit more. Maybe he thought, how can I continue? I feel so alone. I sure wish the Apostle Paul was here. I sure wish the buck didn't stop with me. It was a whole lot easier when the buck stopped with Paul, right? It's a whole lot easier. Can I continue? How can I continue? And maybe Paul's thinking, Timothy might be struggling with this. He says, yes, you can continue. Why? In the next verse, he says, because you know the people who taught the scripture to you. You know the word of God that was planted in you. You know where it came from. Where did it come from? Well, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, Paul says, Timothy, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that now lives in you. Grandma was involved in passing her faith along to the grandchildren. The mom was involved in passing her faith down to her children. And this is what we have to do. This is how we become convinced. This is how the next generation becomes convinced because the parents and the grandparents pass on their faith, share with them the things they are convinced of, teach them the truth of God's word. And then in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10, Paul says, you, however, know all about my teaching and my way of life. Not only did he receive this word of God from his grandmother and his mother, but he also received it from the apostle Paul. And he says, you've been with me. You've been with me, Timothy. You know my life. You know me. Other people don't know me, but you've been with me. You've been a close companion. You've seen my life. You know that I'm credible. You know that I'm a man of integrity. You know the word. Whenever you are tempted to stray from the truth, remember those who have come before you. Remember their teaching. Follow their example. Think of their sacrifice. Remember your spiritual heritage. When doubt begins to creep in, you're not the first person that ever experienced doubt. When you get discouraged, you're not the first person that's become discouraged. When you're tempted to quit and throw in the towel, you're not the first person. But you can overcome that temptation. You can overcome that doubt. Why? Because remember those who've gone before you. Remember the men and women who've gone before you. Remember, if your grandparents served the Lord and are in heaven, remember their sacrifice. Remember their teaching. Remember your parents. Remember. Remember the great men and women of God who've gone before us. That great assembly, as Hebrews talks about, that great cloud of witnesses. I believe they're cheering us on. I believe that great cloud of witnesses has gone before us and saying, come on, Pacific Christian, you can do it. Hold fast. Don't give up. Continue in the truth. If you could only see and experience what we're experiencing now, you would know nothing in this world is worth your compromise. Nothing in this world is worth giving up on. Just hold on until the day that you meet Jesus. And Paul would say in Romans, Paul would say in Romans, I know you're suffering here right now. You're going through some stuff in this world. But he said, the sufferings of this present life are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. That what's awaiting us, friends, that though the world around us may get dark and it may, we may face persecution, we may face challenges, we may face difficulties. I don't know what the Lord will allow to come our way, but regardless of what comes our way, the glory that shall be revealed in us is worth whatever we have to go through in this temporary life. It's worth it. You know the people that taught you the scripture. And finally, you know the scriptures. You yourself, Timothy, you know the scripture. You've been in the word. Don't abandon the truth. Don't abandon the scriptures you know. Continue. In the last verse, he tells us that the word of God is sufficient for every generation. The worship team's coming. The word of God is sufficient 
for every generation. This book sustained my grandparents. I've told you before, my grandpa Sam, the vivid memory I have in my mind, we went probably twice a week to visit my grandparents when I was a kid. They just lived across town. Usually we'd have dinner, six kids in the family, the kids, we'd all do the dishes and fight about that. <laughs> Especially in the summer months, dad would say, come on, let's, we're going over to me, and Papa's house. For those of you who are not in the South, that's your grandparents, me, and Papa. <laughs> I don't know if it's anything other than that. And dad would go in the backyard. My Meemaw had a big garden. He'd always help her out there and help them work around the house, whatever they needed. But you walk in that living room, Papa had a chair. You don't sit in Papa's chair. <laughs> you try to sit in Papa's chair, but you won't be there very long. But on the armrest of his big chair, it was a big Thompson Chain reference Bible sitting on there, always open. My parents are watching this message. Love you, Mom and Dad. This is our heritage. Thank you for the heritage. That Bible was open every time we come in the house. That Bible was open. This book sustained my grandparents. This book has sustained my parents. This book is sustaining Linda and I. This book's going to sustain my three daughters. This book's going to sustain the next generation. It's not going anywhere. It doesn't matter how dark the darkness. The Word of God still stands firm forever. And Paul would say, all Scripture is God-breathed. It's all God-breathed. It came from the voice of God. And it's useful for teaching. We need that. And it's useful for rebuking. We need that too. I need that. It's useful for correcting and training in righteousness so that we can be thoroughly equipped. And Paul reminds Timothy that the Word of God is sufficient for every generation. It's just as relevant today as it was 2,000 years ago. When everyone's departing from the truth, Timothy, remember the Bible's God-breathed. When the world around you is getting darker, remember the Bible is inspired by the Holy Spirit. It is the absolute standard for faith and practice and truth. Think about this. If you have a Bible here today, put it in your hands. We hold in our hands the very words of God, the very words of God translated into the English language. We have God's words. The creator of the universe breathed out a book, a book of truth. We must not depart from this book. We must continue in the truth. Now, having said all that, I close with this. Well, Pastor Lauren, you sure painted a dark picture this morning. Actually, my heart is full of hope because God's moving in this generation. And what I know is that the darker the darkness, the brighter the light. If I were to light a match in this room right now, it wouldn't put off very much light. But if you come here at 3 o'clock in the morning and you strike a match, you can walk all over this room and see where you're going. The darker the darkness, the brighter the light. So because of that, I'm incredibly optimistic and excited about the future. I believe as we approach the coming of the Lord, more people are going to get saved than at any other point in history. 
I believe there's a hunger rising in this generation like never before. I believe we're about to experience a revival and a move of God that we haven't seen, that we've longed for. I believe that. I believe that. This generation has tasted the garbage that the world has fed them and they have become dissatisfied because it cannot satisfy. So they are left him, uh, they're left empty and they're left hungry for something more and they're going to taste and see that the Lord is good. I believe it. I believe it. I believe it. Way back in the Old Testament, the minor prophets in Joel, Joel chapter 2, Joel said, it's coming today in the last days. God said, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. I believe we're in that time. I believe we're in that time. Many of you, like me, have watched with just excitement at the revival taking among, among the student body at Asbury University in Kentucky. Just a move of God. Just a move of God. You know, we can have a move of God in Santa Maria. And if you want to go to Kentucky, that's awesome. But I'm asking God to do it here and to do it in our generation. By the way, before I close, I want to say this. There's a young man seated right here on the second row, a Moses Aguirre Jr. And he is the president of the Christian club at his high school as a sophomore. And he's been inviting students to their weekly meetings. And at first it started out with just four or five students that would come at lunchtime where they would come and pray together and have lunch together and share scripture together, students on campus. But this young man has continued to invite more and more students to come. And now 35, 40 students are coming on their campus. And I'm so proud of this young man, of his courage, because it's easy for us to be timid and to worry, especially when you're a teenager, to worry about what people are going to think about you. And some of us adults, we still worry about that too. But especially in the teenage years. But boldly and courageously, he's been sharing the gospel. And I'm happy to report to you that already he's led nine students to faith in Jesus this school year. Already. You know what I believe is happening? Revival at Orchid Academy. Revival. Revival in our high schools, a move of God. Let's have a move of God at Rigetti. Let's have a move of God at St. Joe's. Let's have a move of God at Santa Maria High. Let's have a move of God at Pioneer Valley. Let's have a move of God at Pacific Christian Center, at Pacific Christian School. Let's have a move of God. It begins with the hunger. And so we close as you stand. We will continue in truth. We will hold fast to what we are convinced of. We will preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and we will pass our faith on to the next generation. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your word. Lord, we know, as Paul says, the last days will be terrible times. We see evidence of that as we look all around us. But we also receive the instruction that Timothy received. Continue in what you've learned and have become convinced of. By your grace and through the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, that's what we will do. In Jesus' name. Once again, thank you for joining us for today's podcast. Special thanks to those of you who give so generously 
to make this ministry possible. If God has put it on your heart to give, please visit our website at pacificchristian.net. And if you enjoyed today's message, please consider subscribing, sharing with your friends on social media, and giving us a rating in iTunes. This will enable us to expand our reach and share the message of Christ with more people. Until next time, God bless you.